Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Folks podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on this episode, we are going to be talking with the extraordinarily talented Jillian Richardson about loneliness. She's an expert in reducing loneliness. She runs a program called Four Weeks to Find Your People for women to get to know themselves and others, and has a newsletter that goes out to more than 7,000 people every week called The Joy List for anyone anywhere to help them access events to facilitate connection. She's also the author of a book called Unlonely Planet, and we are thrilled to have her. Hey, Jillian. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Jillian. I want to start right at the top. Why loneliness? <laughs> Such it's a, a lonely question. topic. It's a lonely topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I'm so drawn in by loneliness because of, you know, kind of the classic wounded healer stereotype where we teach the thing that we need in our own lives the most. And for me, that meant having a story that's very similar to a ton of people of not having parents who really have the emotional skills that you might necessarily want. So for me, that looks like like anger, sadness, big emotions were not really okay in my house. Uh, and conflict was not really addressed. If it gives you any sense, I have a mom who grew up on a farm in Ireland. So mm. think about the kind of Irish farmer, not exactly a emotional <laughs> person. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of what I was raised with was like, be a lady uh, speak when spoken to mm. that kind of attitude. And growing up, I just was kind of in relationships where I didn't really feel as connected as I wanted to be. And at the time, I didn't have language for what my experience was because I didn't know that anything could be different. And mm. it kind of just felt like I was broken. And like, mm-hmm. there was something wrong with me that I wasn't happy in my relationships. And it took me doing a lot of exploring and finding new communities where people lifted me up instead of kind of this passive aggressive kind of poking fun at each other vibe that I realized, oh, wow, like, the spaces I put myself in really shaped the way that I see myself and the and how I see what's possible in the world. And that's why I'm so obsessed with spaces for connection because mm-hmm. I really believe they can change who we are as people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's incredible because I, so much of what we talk about, particularly in our events and, and some of the work that we do is around connection and intimacy mm-hmm. and how you can even be connected with someone but not have intimacy. You can be there. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know if you read any, any works by Glennon Doyle, but she talks about uh, sh- having a representative 
that you are not really there or present, but you have a representative that is there saying hi to people and meeting with people and connecting with people. And what I heard in your story that really resonates for me is this idea of being around your family, but still feeling lonely, not like not feeling seen, not feeling emotionally connected, that mm-hmm. perhaps their representatives were there and your representative was there doing the thing you were supposed to do. But there was like this inside person that was being hidden and not exposed to the light, not living close to the surface of your skin. And that mm-hmm. felt lonely. Oh, completely. Yeah. Jillian, do you have any siblings? I do. I have an older sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's inter- I'm an only child. So when you hear when 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 you were talking about your childhood and sort of not having like feeling loneliness from that from that very very beginning of your life, I was like, oh yeah, that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I was like, ah, I wonder if she's an only child. But yeah, well, and see, so- I have I'm the oldest of three though, and I felt mm-hmm. lonely. I don't know if it has to do necessarily with. I feel like loneliness is kind of like being popular. Because when I, I notice when I talk to people, if I ask the question, were you cool in high school? No one mm. ever says they were cool in high school. Because no matter how quote unquote cool you were, on the inside, everyone feels like a total loser. Mm. And I think it's the same thing with loneliness, where growing up, we don't have these tools to connect to others. And I think more importantly, connect to ourselves. Mm. And so mm-hmm. we all feel disconnected, even if like, I'm a very... Uh, extroverted kind of bubbly person and so you would never think looking at me that I felt lonely but it really was the defining feeling of kind of my teenage years Mm -hmm. and how did that manifest for you what did that look like good question um for me first of all it manifested as an eating disorder uh so Mm -hmm. I was anorexic from 16 to like 22 or 23 And so I was just very, very thin, didn't have my period for years, obsessed with exercise. uh, And I was also really obsessed with getting a boyfriend, which I think is a thing that people kind of talk about lightly when you're a teenager, like, oh, they're so boy crazy, like, "Ah, that's so funny. When in reality, it's just another way of looking to the external to get validation, to get praise, Mm -hmm. to have this feeling of like, I'm enough. Mm -hmm. And I really think that me, because it wasn't like a silly feeling. It was like this desperate feeling of like, I need this. And I really think it was because I was looking for that feeling from my parents. Mm -hmm. And that didn't, I couldn't even touch that part of me. It was too painful. So I just went, oh, I want a boyfriend. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it's it like manifested a, for me. A when then kind of feeling. When mm-hmm. I have the right body, when I have the boyfriend, then I will feel loved. Then yep. I will feel connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And it makes sense that it, it comes from that that place of like you were looking for validation from your fa- your your parents and you weren't getting it, so you're looking at it from somewhere else because that original relationship like the original relationship, our blueprint for our relationships come from our parents. It's the way mm-hmm. that we relate to them and it's the way they relate to one another, create our blueprint for our relationships to come. Mm-hmm. And we either go searching for what was missing or we just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat what we've learned. Completely. Was it the rinse, repeat? Did, was that the tragedy of it? Is that you were finding folks that were emotionally unavailable or not connected or did you still feel lonely within relationship? Yeah. I think so. It's 
only now in the past year started to shift for me. Uh, because really, I think I was looking for people that felt exciting. And if I'm being honest, also a little bit dangerous. Because the feeling that I was used to, I'm like going so into therapy language, but the, the feeling I was used to growing up was kind of this chaotic feeling. And it's not like I came from a dangerous household, not at all. And like my parents, to their credit, have been doing this work alongside me. So like we have a relationship and I love them. And that's the feeling that I grew up with, which kind of this like just never really having an anchor to hold on to. And so that was the kind of person that I was gravitating to uh, in my teens, early 20s. Like the um, a story that I tell, and I, I have actually talked to this person since it happened, and we've, we've kind of healed this wound, but the guy I lost my virginity to, um, we slept together, and he invited me to a party, and I went, and he was there making out with another girl. And so, like, that was the first person... I kind of gave that part of myself to, and he clearly didn't give a shit. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And that kind of thing just reinforces, especially if it, that would have registered differently for you if you were original, you didn't have the original belief around or need around connection and not having it at home. Like a- another, another version of the story where you see that and you shake it off. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was just like, oh, it, it just was a, a reinforcing what you already believed, which is that mm-hmm. you weren't enough, that you weren't able to connect and people weren't available for you. Um, so I think these experiences that just like reinforces our original belief system just makes it like compounds, compounds, compounds. And our brains yeah. seek familiar and they seek patterns. So every time you, every time like anything comes even close to that belief system, the brain is like, there, you see, you mm-hmm. see, you see how it's doing it again. Like, Completely. yeah. Yeah. And of course, at the same time, there are like these sweet boys who have crushes on me who I would never acknowledge or like pretend mm-hmm. that it wasn't going on or like not respond to their texts because it was like, oh, not like exactly you said, Effie, that doesn't confirm the pattern of what I think about myself. So I'm going to ignore that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's also yeah. about I want to get the attention of the person who seems unavailable or uninterested. Again, mm-hmm. role modeling what's happening with our parents, right? Like I want to grab the attention of someone whose attention feels difficult to attain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering when you had those moments of quiet, what was it that your inner voice was telling you? Like who was the person that people were not seeing? Who was the Jillian that people couldn't see? I mean, I think this is a part of myself that I'm still working on really being in contact with now is just the one that is enough without being extraordinary. I think that's kind of a thing that I was really taught growing up is like classic kind of golden child syndrome or like the, the kid in the family who the parents are just seeing is so perfect and wonderful Uh, and just wanting to be the performer, wanting to get straight A's, all that stuff. And I was actually talking to women in my, my group coaching program about this literally last night is the, um, this belief that I have to be contributing so much to my friends in order for them to want to hang out with me, like free tickets, come to events with me, all that kind of stuff. Cause it's like, well, if I'm just a regular person, 
what what makes me interesting? Why would someone want to spend time with me? Yeah, right. The doing right. versus the being. You have to do mm-hmm. something to be enough as opposed to just be. Yeah. And like what value, What like uh, my value is the value I add rather than just being, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and it's interesting, actually. Um, Jackie and I had a, a conversation last yesterday evening uh, just about our relationship. And, and I've been reflecting on that myself. And, I, I, you know, what you're saying to me resonates, which is, you know, we've, we have good communication and something that came up was like, she was like, you know, Effie, sometimes I just need you to listen to me and not like problem solve, which like synopsis of the conversation we had, which is not the first time I've heard this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, and then, and, and it's because it's through problem solving is what I think my value is. It's me mm-hmm. trying to add value to a relationship by, um, by doing, by offering, by like, how can I support her? How can I make it better? How can I better? Rather than being like, I can just be and hold space and that will be enough. Yeah. You know? Um, and those messages are so insidious. Totally. They, right. They sneak in. I mean, Jillian, we were talking about this right beforehand. I do. I have an organization called Crafting Your Path that focuses on, on undoing the external messages that create the internal messages that drive women's behavior. And the goal is for folks to craft their own path outside of that space. And I recently have been thinking about the fact that I, as a, as, a, as a mother, as a wife, as a partner, will serve everyone first, serve them the food, serve them the best portions and eat the scraps, right? Mm-hmm. I role modeled after my mother would eat like the food from the pan before I clear it up. And I run an organization for women, right? And I'm the CEO yeah. of an organization that challenges the status quo on sex and love and relationships. And I'm doing this, right? So to your point around mm. like these messages are just so embedded in who that we have to be, we have to do, we have to be selfless. We have to give up a self in order to be loved. And so mm. I'm interested in how you broke free from that or, or your, it sounds like the process of, I don't even want to say that you've gone to the other side of it, totally. but talk I to me a little bully. bit about the journey. Tell me about the journey. Yeah, well, it's, Hmm. First, I just want to acknowledge that like the work that both of you are doing to create these spaces for to show people what's possible, because that is exactly what helped me shift is meeting people who model and talk about how a different reality is possible than what we're taught. Like that is mm. such a gift for for people for women. So first of all, Thank you for that, because that's <laughs> no small thing, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Jillian. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> when, yeah, but like exactly this is what helped me shift. Uh, was just constantly putting myself in spaces where I could learn a different way of being. So an example of that would be uh, authentic relating, which is an interpersonal meditation where you feel into what's going on in your own body you are in a circle with other people and you're commenting on what you notice about other people, like in their physicality and also the stories or assumptions you have about what's going on with them. And I've done a few weekends of that practice and it really helped me see what's just going on with me when I'm in connection with other people like that with meditation uh, and also just being in spaces where I get to share with strangers. And this, there's a chapter in my book called Sharing with Strangers for this reason. Because mm-hmm. I think as people, and myself included, it's so easy to think, 
oh, I'm the only person with this type of problem. It's only me. And to look at someone and to think, oh, that that woman is beautiful. She has no problems. Like she loves herself. Look at her, of course. And then to be in conversation with that woman who I've never talked to before and have all these assumptions about. And for her to say, oh, like I'm going through a divorce or like I have this disease or I lost my job. And this is a lesson I need to learn literally every week because I keep forgetting it and I keep assuming things about people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I really don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, In that I always felt the closest to people, no matter if it was like a dance space, a meditation space, uh, a coaching space. When people shared something that was scary to say, it never made me judge them. It always made me feel closer to them and respect mm-hmm. them for having the self-awareness and the bravery to share something like that. And it just made me want to be that type of person because it just, it really is so valuable to me. Yeah. I think Isn't that, that interesting. Yeah. I, I think that, that, oh, me too moments are so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the, the when we started doing Curious Fox and, and we're doing the panel discussions, the peer panels, and that when people were telling their, sharing their story, it was that way. You could feel it, like, you could feel it um, ripple through the room. Like somebody would tell their story and it'll be this like pertinent moment where they're saying, they're sharing their struggle or, or like, a, you know, something that holds them back. And you, you, almost saw it in people's eyes it would just ripple through the crowd people are just like oh me too like i know that feeling yeah. you know and 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 then after that there's a relief there's a unity that follows that and it's so probable it's so strong mm. um and i think i was gonna say what's go ahead no go ahead go for it, go for it. well what's fascinating about that is the, the thing that we are desperately trying not to say not to reveal not to have show is the thing that actually will connect us to other people, right? Like, I don't want to talk about my fears. I don't want to talk about my insecurities. I don't want to. And the moment that you do, that's actually the moment of the, of more, of, of more intimacy, more connection, more Mm -hmm. relatability, more Mm -hmm. community. Yeah. We've been taught lies, Jillian and Effie. (laughs) We've been taught lies. We've been taught lies. Smoke and mirrors and smoke Mm. and mirrors just makes you feel lonely. For sure, yeah. yeah. That pretend that that what you said, the representative, the representative yeah. is the gatekeeper to like yes. to, to connection. You know, like yes. she's at the door, like not letting people in. Yeah, and I think that, and I'm interested in your thoughts around this, Julian. Like, social media, I think, has the opportunity to either make that worse or better. I think there's mm-hmm. an opportunity of an anonymity in some ways where you can share full story and have connections and hear from people all over. And there is a very filtered picture reality of things that mm. makes it difficult to show because you want more po- more likes and more follows and all those other things. And so then how much do I share and reveal? And, and so I'm interested in how you've navigated that space because social media and newsletters and all of that is your platform, is how you yeah. connect with community. Mm-hmm. So how have you personally navigated through that and, and finding your space and your zone? It is difficult. It is such a balancing act and for me the balancing act is being vulnerable while also keeping aspects of my life for just me because my default is now like share everything with everyone Uh, and I'm working on reversing that a little bit because when I share everything with everyone that's actually not respecting myself and my boundaries 
Uh, and so that's a thing that I'm constantly checking in with myself of like, is this a healthy share? Does this feel safe? Am I okay sharing this part of myself? And at the same time, knowing that when I'm sharing, it is a gift for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I keep forgetting where I heard this from, but on social media, you can either compare or connect. And so mm-hmm. if I'm looking, like I've unfollowed a bunch of people, uh, honestly, mostly women who just have awesome bodies <laughs> because anytime I saw their photos, I got this awful kind of like green monster feeling of like, mm, like this woman looks this way and I don't look that way. And now I feel bad about myself. And now I'm going to have a weird day because I don't have abs. And like, it just mm-hmm. wasn't good for me. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get rid of all that stuff. And now pretty much I only follow people on social media whose posts make me smile and dogs. Like that's what, yeah. <laughs> that's what I call <laughs> lots of golden retrievers. Yeah. Uh, follow my dog. Follow my dogs yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> He's adorable. Yeah, it's, cute. it's like really important. And this is a thing that I keep meaning to post online. And I think I'm avoiding it because it might make me seem inauthentic but like the the headshot that i used for most things is this headshot where i'm like i kind of have my head back and i'm laughing and just looking at this photo you would assume i was having the best day ever and i was in the best mood and in reality the day i took these photos bless my friend tom who took them i was in the funkiest mood i was having a terrible fight with my family and was just Mm. deeply sad and so all of the pictures on my website where I'm like looking so glowing and happy because Tom was just telling me jokes to make me laugh. I was in such a foul mood that day. And Mm. so on the one hand, you can look at it like you, you never know what's really going on with people in these beautiful Mm -hmm. photos. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I'm like to be softer on myself is that no matter how bad of a mood I'm in, there is also always this little spark of happiness and joy mm-hmm. in me that I can have access to. Mm-hmm. So that I, I feel like that. it's a, a more positive way of looking yeah, at it. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I have a question. So um, you were saying, you were saying like you are trying to dial back how much you share. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what is the, like when you are sharing and, and you know, right now maybe a little oversharing because that's how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the driver? Like what is, what's driving you to like share more, share, share more to an extent that you are sharing beyond what you're comfortable with? I think it's that, and honestly, I don't think I've done this in a while, but I keep, trying to keep track of it is like is this a part of me that I'm feeling shame around and so to get rid of it I'm gonna share it with all these people to kind of tell my Mm. brain well like ha now I can't feel bad about this thing because I just emailed it to thousands of people (laughs) so Mm. like that'll Mm. be my easy fix for getting rid of the shame Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, naming naming it is a good way to get out of shame. So you're yeah. like, you're not only naming it, but you're naming it to the world. Yeah. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I also want to just step back a little bit, mm. and and because you are the expert on loneliness, mm. right? This is kind of what you, yeah, you're that's a, your your like passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrote a book on it. Um, I'm kind of interested in sort of stepping back and looking at loneliness as a as a concept, as a feeling, as a um a universal human emotion mm-hmm. and i'm kind of interested in sort of the 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 um, 
sort of a general understanding of loneliness. Like, do you know where it comes from? Do you know why it's there? Um, do you know how it sort of manifests in people? What triggers like, and, and, and how it sort of um, shows up in communities or individuals? Yeah, well, I feel like the way that I answer this question has definitely changed a lot over time. And the way that I'm seeing it right now is loneliness happens when we don't know how to have, first of all, a good relationship with ourselves on our own. And also when we don't have the relational skills to foster intimacy with other people. Because there's this stat that I gave in a, or I use in talks that 22% of millennials believe that they don't have a single friend. And it's like, it's such a painful statistic of like almost a quarter of the people between 25 and 34 think they don't have any social support. And the more that I think about it, it's, and I don't actually have the research for this, but I'm very curious is if you looked at their social circle, is it actually true that they don't have friends or is it just that they believe that they don't have friends and they don't have the ability to reach out to people, to connect with them. And when they're in connection with other people, they probably are not feeling that intimacy. Like you were talking about the gatekeeper, their gatekeeper is up and they're not letting in that love and that connection because they haven't been taught the skills to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that connection to self is something that we talk about in Curious Fox all the time that know thyself is the foundation for everything. And, Mm -hmm. And recently I have been in the process of I have been feeling antsy and claustrophobic and mm-hmm. in need of, of, of intimacy. And I was, my default first was like, seek that externally, right? So I was going to my partners and I'm like, I need more. I was going to social media and like posting about myself and my feelings. And there was this, and when I sat back to your point to be like, well, why, why is there this reaching that's happening? Mm-hmm. I realized that it was because I had not taken time to get to know myself. Mm. And that's a pattern of mine that I will um, have these periods of, of deep levels of intimacy with myself. I'll make changes in my life to to align with that. And then I'll be like, that's me now. Great. And I just go about life and a year passes and two year passes. And then the inner me is like, no, 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 I've changed since I've changed. And when I start to feel that feeling, my programming is look externally. It means that you're not connected enough externally as opposed to connected internally. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested in, so I've now really focused on my practices for sitting with myself and, and reconnecting with myself. I'm interested in what those practices look like for you. So to Effie's point around loneliness is such a human condition. And if mm-hmm. the start of that is feeling lonely within yourself, what are some of the practices that you implement and some of the tools that you share with other folks around that? How do you first rid yourself of that lonely feeling internally before you seek external connection. Man, this is another thing I've been thinking about a ton recently because I feel like the the concept of kind of a morning routine and of self-care has been so like like capitalism has eaten it and now it's like okay, you've got to like use this app to meditate, you've got to follow this structure and you've got to use a timer and there's just like all of these shoulds that we're putting on how we are in connection with ourselves. And I totally fell prey to that of like, okay, like I have to 
read this book and meditate for 20 minutes. And it's got to be this type of meditation. And like to question that and see, okay, what will I actually look forward to when I get up in the morning? And also if it's not something that I necessarily look forward to, like for me, meditating in silence, I do not look forward to. And I always feel better after every time. And so <laughs> thinking, if ha, making sure I have things that I enjoy. So for me, that's doing my morning pages and writing poetry and reading a book that feels really nourishing. I do that every morning. And I do my seated meditation. And for me, I do not stick to things if I don't know why I'm doing it. And so for so long, I was just meditating because I was like, well, to be a productive person, that's what you do. Like you should, <laughs> you should meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a, a mentor, Aaron, who he asked me, he's like, well, what are your values as a person? And does meditation connect to your values? And I was like, well, I value being of service and feeling deeply present for other people when I am with them. And he's like, well, does meditation serve that purpose? I was like, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> so I think just giving, giving people permission to play with that part of like, I know women who will just put like a faux fur blanket out and they take off their clothes and they just like roll around on a blanket for 10 minutes to just get in touch with their body and pleasure. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a form of meditation. You're just thinking about that. And that's the whole point. And uh, yeah, permission. I love that. Yeah. Inspiration and permission is where we, where we live. So <laughs> this is nice to hear that. Nice to hear that. And um, what do you think the role of loneliness is in, uh, or I guess I should say how loneliness plays out in relationships? Because um, we talk a lot and we did, I think we did a whole, either an episode on this or an Instagram um, live on this about the distinction between being alone and feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And that just because you're alone doesn't mean you feel lonely and you yeah. can feel lonely in a crowd, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, in, and that means that if you're in, even in a relationship, you can, you can be with somebody and still feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious if you have any insight into how loneliness like what, what, how loneliness shows up, what, what, you know, what kind of effect it has um, within the context of relationships? Ooh, that's a really interesting question. How loneliness shows up in relationships? Well, I think for me, how loneliness shows up in relationships is putting just too much expectation on the other person of like, mm-hmm. you're giving me this much time and like you need to give me this quality of presence and you need to be planning beautiful dates for us and essentially like all the things that I wish I was doing for myself but I'm not mm. you will do for me and if you don't do it I'm going to be really upset and I'm going to punish you instead of punishing myself mm. <laughs> or really punishing yeah. you and myself mm-hmm. yeah for sure really yeah good awareness mm. that is that is true so many times of you don't spend time with me or you don't do this or you don't do that. And those are things that, I mean, we, we had a conversation recently with um, Clara who focuses on um, 
nonviolent communication. And part mm. of that conversation was really around our needs versus our strategies. Yeah. And so we love, we love to share out strategies. I feel lonely. And so here are the things that you need to do to solve that problem, mm -hmm. as opposed to really sitting in the need and figuring out first, how do we meet that need ourselves? Yeah. And then where can we get that need met without it being focused on one person meeting all our needs, right? That's a lot of the work that Esther Perel talks about too, that we once had a community that met mm -hmm. multiple needs. And now we, we expect our partners to be our best friends, our mentors, our lovers, our, you know, our, our, our intellectual partners, all these things we expect out of one human being. And it's mm -hmm. just frankly not possible. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. interested also in your work around, so we talked about individuals and we talked about in partnership and I'm interested in the connection between that and groups. Mm -hmm. So much of your work has been events. And so yeah. certainly as event organizers, Effie and I are wildly intentional about creating connection, both virtually now and in person. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested, how do you create connection in events with groups of strangers? Yeah. Ugh, I love talking about this so much. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is giving people permission and reminding them that they share something in common with everyone who is in the space. So at my event, the Joyless Social, which is an event for New Yorkers to make new friends, I noticed at the first one that, of course, people seemed a little nervous. Like they're in a space where most people come by themselves. And so there's this low level kind of social anxiety or like, people talking really fast or really loud or whatever. And I noticed when I was kind of in the center talking to people that when I said, everyone is here to make new friends, whoever you come up to, they will be excited to talk to you because you're new. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. Like there was this kind of collective shoulder drop. <laughs> of like, mm -hmm. Oh, right. <laughs> and I, I get this feedback from people a lot of like, this was one of the first spaces I went up and talked to a stranger and I wasn't scared. And mm -hmm. I really think it's just as an event organizer that I'm giving the people that gift of reminding them that it's safe and they're okay and people want to talk to them because most people have that inner narrative of, no, that person doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not cool enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'll be bothering them. And it's helpful to know that most people are thinking that. And that's mm -hmm. a lie. We're telling ourselves to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, you know, I, part of my brain went to, are there particular activities? Are there particular things? And I think what I, what I love about your answer is that it goes back to Let's just create the space. Let's just give permission. Let's name the scary thing. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you came by yourself because you want a friend. Don't be embarrassed. So did everybody else. <laughs> that's like why. That's literally that. the purpose of this event is yeah. for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, that tell me, tell me about just some of, some of what has fed you in there. You talked a little bit about that. Has that informed your personal journey in loneliness? The work that you're doing with others. I think it's been really interesting that. I feel like I've been serving a problem that I used to have. And now I kind of have the inverse problem where now I have a lot of people in my life. And my work is to choose the people that I really want to go deep with 
and commit to those people instead of being distracted by the shiny new people who are constantly coming into my life. Uh, it's a gift and a curse, like everything. And to just work on that. So my work is really creating and maintaining intimacy with people, which is something I can be bad at sometimes. Like I can not respond to text messages because I got a message from someone who I've never talked to before. And I'm like, Ooh, who is this person? It's yeah. It's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you um, how do you decide who those people are? How do you decide who your like your people that you want to keep close? And how do you, how do you still then make room for new people? Because you know there's there's also value in there, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a, a stranger. What I what did I what do I say? A stranger is a friend you haven't met yet. Completely. You know? yeah. That that has been a really big gift of the quarantine. Has been seeing who do I feel compelled to reach out to because I don't have a lot of emotional energy right now. Like the, mm. the anxiety and the stress of just this situation in general is really wiping me out and causing a lot of brain fog. It's really hard to focus. Mm. And so I only want to connect with people that feel very re-energizing to me and that mm-hmm. I already have an established relationship with. So mm. there's like eight people that I've been noticing I've just been naturally reaching out to and I feel like it's kind of my body's way of being like, yeah, like these are your close friends. <laughs> like, Those are your folks. I was going to say, you named the fact that we are actually in quarantine. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, yeah. Right. First, so for those, those of you living post-quarantine in yeah, the future, like, as you're hearing this episode. Quarantine time. <laughs> exactly. The, we right now are on Zoom as well as Zencaster looking mm-hmm. at each other through your phone and the computer trying to connect yeah. <laughs> via this platform. And I'm, so I'm curious about that. What, tell me about what you were seeing in terms of the trends in loneliness now. What is coming up in the work? What are you seeing? How are you addressing it? Like, tell me what post-COVID or, or current COVID social yeah. distancing loneliness is like. Well, here's my hope. My hope is that people will see how important connection is and that it's really the most important thing because a huge like annoyance that I had was that the work that people like us do is kind was kind of seen as, oh, I'll get to that later. Doesn't really matter that much. Like work is the most important thing. And even like romantic relationships are the most important thing. And then friendship comes way behind. And to see that the work that people do of bringing people together is legitimately healing work. Like hmm. I have talked to pastors and rabbis who are just like, we wish that we could convene young people <laughs> in a meaningful way. And like, they don't want to come. So folks like us, like we're creating, a, I believe a spiritual space hmm. and seeing online how people in the mental health space and the community building space are just really supporting each other and promoting each other and just Mm -hmm. lifting up each other's work because what we're doing right now, I I think is literally saving lives. Mm -hmm. It's really important. For sure. I also find it, 
I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And I do think that that is a silver lining in the situation where people are going to be like, oh, damn, like connection is so important. I didn't realize like I didn't realize because I never not had it before. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of that for me, especially so we all live in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. The city that never sleeps um, of millions and millions of people. Um, it doesn't take you know, you can't step outside your door and not see somebody. That's just the city that we live in. Um, so, I mean, I can definitely speak for myself, and I've heard this from from many, many people, is that you are sometimes, at least I feel like you. we are bombarded with people, and sometimes that tricks the brain into thinking, oh, we've had our social fill. Mm-hmm. Like, we've have we've had our connections where we actually haven't, we're just being distracted by people, but we haven't really filled those tanks of connection, totally. which is essentially what event, what, what then like um, is the antidote for loneliness. So I think now like those distractions have, are no longer available. We're like, Oh, like connection is not those distractions. Mm-hmm. And sort of looking at how, like I'm, I'm curious to once things reopen and we go back to a new reality what then looks like for people like how are people are going to connect is it going to change the way that we connect to one another or are we going back to like business as usual i'm really interested in people who previously really cherished their bachelor bachelor lifestyle and like and and what was once their source of freedom is now like their isolation and nightmare like i'm really interested how these things are going to play out um post quarantine what are you what are your predictions it's funny because i'm like my predictions are really just things that i hope will happen (laughs) but Uh what i hope will happen (laughs) is Mm -hmm. that people will want to learn the skills to foster more intimacy because Mm -hmm. i'm really seeing this in in my group program for women is that the women who join, and this is for a lot of people, they're coming in thinking that they don't have enough friends and that they need to meet new people. When in reality, they could just do some adjusting with the way they're interacting with people already in their lives. And they could have a sense of intimacy they didn't realize was possible with that person. And so we do an exercise that is so simple where we just set a timer for 10 or 20 minutes and say to our partner, like, hey, what have you been thinking a lot about recently? And they share for however long, four, five, six minutes. And when they're done, they say, I'm done. Uh, I'm open to you asking me questions. And then you ask them open questions, meaning questions that are not a yes or no answer, questions you couldn't possibly know the answer to. And that's it. And... Mm -hmm. A woman in my group did the exercise with her mom, which I thought was so brave. Brave. I was like, do the exercise with someone was their homework. And she did her mom. I was like, whoa. And she said she had the best conversation of her life with her mom. Mm -hmm. And it was just doing something to break the pattern that we're always in of like, blah, blah, Mm. blah, talking about whatever the weather, small talk, Mm -hmm. uh, and I have that pattern with people in my life too. And so to be like, we're going to create the intentional space or like a container, if you want to use hippie language, mm-hmm. to just be present with each other. And I'm just going to be really curious about what's mm-hmm. going on for you right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because there's another woman who was kind of concerned that 
her her friend might be offended of like, oh, what you think that I'm not a good listener, so we have to do this weird exercise. Um, but I really think it's a gift. Like it's in my opinion, it's saying to someone like, I really want to know what's going on for you, mm-hmm. and then like, let's just do this fun, different thing. Because uh, I feel like people are willing to do this in romantic relationships more. Of like, yeah, let's mix mm. things up. Let's do an exercise. I want to be close to you. But with other people, there's this fear of like, that's weird. Like, why would I Why would I do an exercise with my mom or my friend? But we just want to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes those connections, I mean, definitely our connection with our parents are so important, as I said, because they are the blueprints. And, and I find that if you can go back and fix some of these issues with with that blueprint, it has a massive effect. I mean, it's really hard. Oh, but man, if you it's can hard. do, yeah. it's so hard. But if you can go <laughs> back and fix some of those, um, you know, uh, uh, struggles in that blueprint, it has an incredible ripple effect across all your relationships. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest. It's like the hardest. It's one of the hardest things to do. But uh, if yeah. you can do it, um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking like I'm thinking this exercise with my mom. I'm not. I'm just not that brave. Mm-hmm. right now <laughs> i'm just like not i'm like oh yeah that's kind of scary i don't think i want to go there right now totally yeah mm-hmm. yeah but i want to but i want to put it out there i'm like maybe one day <laughs> i can work out i can work out to that yeah has this impacted your relationships with your parents at all with your mother or with your parents oh completely it's yeah. it's kind of one of those like two steps forward one step back things where mm-hmm. i think a thing that i've really learned and also with my therapist is just that like people aren't going to necessarily rise to where I want them to be and rise sounds like a judgmental word, but like evolve in the way that I want them to change and that's okay. And so I think for me, my healing with my family has come from kind of airing the dirty laundry, talking about their oppressed and secret things. We did it with the family therapist and just knowing like, my parents are never going to be authentic relating experts who are sharing what's on their soul every time we talk. Like mm-hmm. that would be undoing over 60 years of the way they have existed in the world. That's just not fair. And that's mm-hmm. it's kind of me being selfish and making mm-hmm. them uncomfortable every time we talk. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so just, but I had to go through that process of realizing like, there are so many things we haven't talked about. We need to talk about them. And like, I will, I am a huge advocate for going into your family lineage and looking at what has gone wrong. And it is such a dark night of the soul. It is such hard work. It is like family therapy with my parents. We did a a five day family therapy session, like full day, every day, five days, uh, which, which shows how much stuff we had to talk about. That wow. is inc- so amazing Good for that them. Doing- yeah. yeah, they did it. Good for all of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I've had mm-hmm. s- similar kind of struggles with my parents, particularly my mother, and I think at some point to your point, I needed to come to the conclusion that for her, I was desperate for her to accept who I am mm-hmm. and who I am in the world and who I continue to evolve to be, but in my desire for her to accept me I was not accepting her and who she was that I almost thought she needed to change to acknowledge my change Mm -hmm. and to your and that wasn't fair that that she's going to believe what she's going to believe and she's going to feel that way and and I'm going to love and I respect her with that 
as in the same way I'm inviting and asking her to love and respect me for the way that I show up in the world yeah. and that I can't ask her to change because I don't want, I want her to stop asking me to change. <laughs> like, yeah. And that realization's painful. Like that's yeah. a really, like, I don't want to underplay how hard that that's realization right. is. There's a big grief that comes with that. Mm-hmm. yeah grief mourning of what what you wanted and that it is no longer available and then you need to come come figure out other other strategies of having that having that that need met which are not going to be your favorite strategies and yeah it is it's a pandora's box and i am <laughs> so impressed that you and your family have like we're gonna go there we're gonna open this box and we're gonna sit with it for five days <laughs> all day yeah. every day that takes was did you initiate that or oh was yeah i kind of I, I was a little manipulative i won't i won't lie i i forced it they did like, not there's really a vacation here yeah. <laughs> like the first day was kind of a, an a, awakening of oh this isn't just therapy for jillian this is therapy for the family when like on a, I feel like on a logical level, they understood what they were doing, but on an emotional level, I don't think they, they got like what, what therapy really is. Um, and there was a lot of resistance, of course, like, duh. And to their huge, 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 enormous credit, they stayed. Mm-hmm. And I was not exactly yeah. lovely to be around during that time. And they stayed anyways. Wow. Did you find that affirming? Sorry. Did did you find that affirming? The fact that they're not going to change. They are the people who they are. But. uh, Revise. Um, They are. They're not going to change. They're the people they are. They have their own backgrounds. Their own limitations. And they sat through it with you. Yeah. I think it was. It's. I don't want to say it's the most I can ask for. But like. So many people would not have stuck through that. And Mm -hmm. like, that was the thing the therapist reiterated over and over again during the process was like, just because like, you're not saying the things you want to hear the other person hear, you're both in these seats right now. And that says a lot. Like you could walk out right now easily. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that willingness that that willingness to sit with it is huge mm-hmm. i think that speaks volumes even though what they're saying is not what you want to hear but just that that willingness to sit with it is speaks volumes i think yeah totally mm-hmm. i've been thinking that, that, that people who are in quarantine and have gone home i know there's a mm. number of folks who aren't from new york and they've gone back to their parents homes because maybe there's less exposure more open space mm-hmm. they didn't want to be alone in their apartments and how challenging that has to be for lots of folks or they want to support and take care of their parents absolutely and how challenging that can be because many folks when they transition out they grow into their adulthood hopefully and they grow into who they are and to be in an hour space potentially in your childhood room and to renegotiate what that relationship looks like as all adults in this time of quarantine, I really have a tremendous amount of empathy and kind of putting positive vibes out there and, and, yeah. and hoping for, for restoration and, and, and relationship, uh, relationship healing maybe in those spaces mm-hmm. when possible. Mm-hmm. Can I make some quick book recommendations for anyone yes, who is please. in this situation? Because I'm like, it's funny. I don't hear people recommend books on this topic very often. Um, so one, Let me find my pen. You were like, you like, get your pen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So one is there's a, a group called uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics, 
which Mm -hmm. is also for anyone who's from a dysfunctional family, like alcoholic Mm -hmm. families and dysfunctional families overlap. And they have kind of like how the big book for Alcoholics Anonymous, ACOA has a big book as well, which is 600 pages, super in-depth. If you want to understand the psychology of being a child of a dysfunctional family, it's incredible, Uh, Mm -hmm. a shorter and much more easily digestible, but still equally difficult read uh, is adult children of emotionally immature parents. Mm-hmm. And it breaks down like different types of parenting styles and you kind of figure out which one your parent was and how to navigate that relationship now. Um, very hard read. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And two more is the drama of the gifted child by Alice Miller will fuck you up. It <laughs> That was really hard for me. I read that book. That was really hard for me. It's I, mm-hmm. yeah, I cannot say enough. Like if you're not in a good headspace which like we're in quarantine right now. So maybe don't read drama of the gifted <laughs> child, um, but it will completely shift it for me. It shifted the way I saw myself as a person. Like it mm. made me see myself completely differently. Uh, and the last one is the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk, mm. like classic mm. recommendation again, will mess you up, but <sighs> it's just the, the body keeps the score is great because it also has a lot of solutions yeah. of like, yoga emdr different ways to process and it just normalizes these trauma responses we have that Mm -hmm. go so undiscussed and swept under the rug when Mm -hmm. so many people have had in one way or the other traumatic family situations and that maybe on the surface don't seem traumatic at all and there's this Mm -hmm. logic of oh well Like, I wasn't hit. There wasn't drug abuse. My parent didn't go to prison. Like, these Comparative suffering. um, Mm -hmm. Oh, another thing is the ACE score uh, for kind of seeing what trauma you have faced as a child. Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to see the different things that are classified as trauma that Mm -hmm. you might not even see of, like, someone in my family had a mental illness or an addiction uh, mm-hmm. people were emotionally abusive uh, mm-hmm. again these are all like the heaviest yeah. things but I just for someone whose literal brand name is around joy like the the darkness of all of this I think is so fascinating and important and it's just not discussed nearly enough for sure. mm-hmm. I I I can't agree with you enough. A, a lot of the work that I have to do with clients because we're dealing with relationships is looking at that blueprint of the original relationship and the, the amount of trauma. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, the, it, it, that's just where it starts. Like that, you, you can't escape. It is a part, I, I call it, it's a part of your operating system. Like that code is in there until okay. you get deep and you get to like find that code and bug fix or understand and deal mm-hmm. with it it's just going to be, it's going to be pinged in every relationship that you have. Yeah. Um, and I can't agree with you now that how much we need to, to talk about that stuff more. And those two books, the last two books that you mentioned, I want to go back and I want to look at the, the first two ones. I haven't, I haven't looked at those, but uh, the, the um, Body Keeps the Score and The Drama of the Gifted Child, mm-hmm. they're not easy reads. No, they're not um, easy reads. <laughs> yeah, and I want to just tell people, I, I also, I second those recommendations. I also want to just say, give yourself permission to 
like put them down totally uh, mm-hmm. and walk away from them and come back to them like don't make it your your the my recommendation would be don't make it the book that you're reading mm-hmm. like read something else and then read this book as well along the side and give yourself breaks put it down when you need to um you know highlight annotate rest take a breath mm-hmm. go for a walk come back read yeah. it again um that's at least that's what is it let me put it this way if it's resonating with you it's you're probably gonna need to take breaks yeah yep and talk about mm-hmm. it if you have a therapist talk about it with yeah. your therapist let your therapist know that you're reading these books <laughs> yeah it's funny i did that i told i i i told her that i was when i was told my therapist i, I love her and she's a trauma therapist she mm-hmm. is like uh, that's, that's what she says and i said i'm reading the body keeps a score and she was like "Ooh." <laughs> that was a reaction <laughs> she like raised her eyebrows and she was like "Ooh." Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, right. yeah. I think one thing to note too is, you know, we're talking about this certainly in the relationship space and that's the focus of Curious Fox, but most of my work lives with folks outside of this in career space, in developing their careers or advancing in their careers. And I want to note that these tracks that are laid with our parents, these foundational tracks in our lives, these messages that we hear certainly just don't show up in relationship, but they show up in our careers, they show up in our friendships, mm-hmm. they show up just to, to name the impact of these things that when you... You, you mentioned earlier, both Jillian and, and, and Effie, that we get distracted and we don't want to spend time working on ourselves or working on connection and healing these traumas because I got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And all of those things are going to impact all of the things that you do in all of the spaces where you are if you don't take time to heal that within yourself and to heal those connections and to really build healthy connections. Yep. So if you're really focused on work and that's your priority, then this work is also important for you. Mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, as we wrap up, I want to um, just recognize the very, very current potent situation that we're in. And want to just touch back on COVID and quarantine and, and how loneliness is such a big part of that, especially those of us who are quarantined, um, on their own, uh, and I happen to be one of these people. Um, I'm. I want to sort of just touch base on that and and just talk about it in 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 the context of COVID and quarantine. And then any tips, Jolene, that you want to share with people, how you know how they can alleviate these feelings. What can they do? Um, what has been your experience? What do you hear from the community around loneliness? Just I want to like acknowledge here we are, you know, um, and, and, and sort of get your takes on that. Yeah. I think a tip that I have is, uh, there's a man named Casper Turkile who works for Harvard Divinity School and he and his two collaborators, uh, Angie Thurston and Sue, I am spacing on her last name. I'm sorry, Sue, uh, just came out with a report on grief and how to deal with grief right now during COVID which is very important because and we're all losing different things. We might not have lost someone that we love, but we're losing normalcy. We're losing our jobs. We're losing connection to friends and person. Uh, and it's just a bunch of ritualized ways to tap into that grief right now. Um, also, the author Kat Velos, she made a workbook on how to connect with your friends from afar. It's super beautiful really well designed really cute illustrations and like if you miss workbooks when you were a kid it's like a workbook that you do with your friend so that you can connect with each other and stay in touch and it's like very sweet um and the last thing that i've recommended for people who like my group are saying i don't know who to connect with 
it feels like there's not a lot of people in my life. This is a really simple trick, but it works is just if you have a, a scheduling app like Acuity or Calendly, make a little 20 or 30 minute slot in your calendar for a coffee date and publicly post it and say, hey, I would love to connect with any of you. Like Even if we haven't talked in years, even if we've never talked and you want someone to connect with, I would love to chat with you and just have it be there because I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that they were super surprised by who scheduled the call. Like people they might've assumed were really connected right now or people they assumed were too cool to talk to them, whatever, that we're all looking for connection right now. And that by putting that offer out there, you're also giving people a gift because you get to be there for someone who might be Mm -hmm. too embarrassed to do what you just did. Mm. I, I love, love that. that. Mm. I love yeah. that, and I'm gonna do that. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> literally. I'm gonna because I, I use Calendly for for booking clients. I'm gonna I'm gonna like half an hour coffee morning coffee. I'm gonna put morning coffee time out there for people. Yeah, and see what happens. I'm so curious to who's gonna book that time, <laughs> and like what conversation is gonna come from that. And I I love the fact that I'm I want to do it at the top of my day. And I want to just check in with myself to like, what, what does that do to my day? You know, because mm-hmm. right now I start my day um, calling my parents every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we also, I also have a difficult relationship with them. Unfortunately, it kind of has to be the first thing in the morning because they live in a country with a, uh, um, they're far away in the mm-hmm. time difference. So we have a very short window of um, uh, time that we can connect. So I, you know, it has to be first thing in the morning and they're older, they're like in their mid 70s. So it's it's kind of the best support that I can give them as an only child that is always away. Um, uh, and it has a certain, it has a, it sets a certain tone for my day. And sometimes it's hard <laughs> yeah. to shake off because it's not the most positive conversation I have. Right. Totally. Um, and I want to replace, I want to replace one of those days instead of spending that half an hour with my parents, I want to put it this call out there um, and see what happens. Mm. And I'll, I, I will write about this because I think it's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I love that little it's great. Um, recommendation. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. What are you curious about right now, Jillian? What's, what's stirring in your brain? What's setting your soul on fire? What are you trying to unwind right now in your head? Ooh. I mean... One big thing is I'm thinking about like worth and value in business. Cause I mean, as I told both of you before we started chatting, I'm doing uh, Marie Forleo's B school and thinking about like what makes someone a premium quote unquote brand? Like what stops me from thinking that I, as an individual, am a premium brand. Like what, what's the, the brain process that's saying that, Oh, what I do isn't worth money when I think that connection is the most important thing in the world, but when it comes to offering the ability to learn how to connect more deeply, there's a part of me that's like, oh, that's greedy to, to charge for that. And like, that's bad. And I shouldn't do that. And like bad people charge money for things. And just like mm-hmm. these assumptions I have about money are so interesting or like that wealthy people are bad or like they did something mm-hmm. bad to become wealthy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. so thinking about money stories is a big one and also Mm -hmm. just I'm developing a curriculum for a video series on kind of based off of the group coaching program I do of deepening your relationship to yourself deepening current relationships 
meeting new people Mm -hmm. and becoming a member of your community and contributing Mm -hmm. uh, and just really diving into like, what are the skills that I've learned that I wish I had 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. What do I wish someone taught me? And not being afraid to go deeper and knowing that the the women who I want to reach do want to go deeper and they've already started this journey of looking at themselves and that people are ready for that. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think there's this part of me that I, I love psychology and going deeper in this inner work. And I don't talk about it as much because I'm afraid of being seen as like too intense or too woo woo or whatever. Uh, and being like, no, oh, fuck it. Like, I love these things. We yeah. need to have a whole nother podcast episode about being too fill in the blank. That is, <laughs> yeah. get me started on the two. <laughs> I've lived too long under the oppression of too much, Jillian. Yes, yes, yes. We're yeah. gonna, we'll schedule some other time to talk. No, for that's sure, great. And I'd love to, um, you know, once you have your curriculum down, uh, we'd love to host you as a part of the Curious Folks Present yeah. Series. Yeah. Where we bring, yeah, I would love, we'd love to have that. Uh, I know your focus is on women, um, but I think your content is universal and, oh, and important. And if you're, you know, if you'll come back to us, we'd love to host you as a, as a Curious Folks Presents um, expert and, and cover, you know, bring, bring that content to our community. Cause I think it's so precious, so important, life-changing, life-changing. Thank yeah. you. Um, so, um, as we wrap up, I, if you loved Jillian as we do, as much as we do, and I'm sure you do, I want to just let you know, listeners where you can find out more about Jillian Richardson. Um, uh, you can find her at joyless.nyc. That's joyless.nyc. Um, she's all over social media. You can find her on Instagram at joyless.nyc um, and at that Jillian. Um, that's at that Jillian. Um, and I really recommend it. I've been, uh, been following the Joyless for for years now and the events are awesome. Um, and and I love the strap line of uh, events that you can go alone and leave with a friend, right? Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? That's totally yeah. right. Yeah, um, I love that. When I first read that, I was like, yeah, I want to go to those events for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And um, read her book on Lonely Planet. Um, it's a great read. I really recommend it. Um, and um, I want to just thank Jillian so much for uh, for joining us today, for sharing her wisdom, to talk about loneliness during some of the most loneliest times of our of, of our of our like globally, some of the loneliest time that we're experiencing right now. It was uh, so insightful. Um, thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for joining us. Mm, thank you thank for you inviting me here. This was mm-hmm. I need conversations like this to get me through the day. So you just <laughs> gave me life. <laughs> If you want to follow us on social media, then and be, be a part of more of these conversations, hear more of these things. Well, first, let me say, if you like what you heard, then please rate, please follow, please share this podcast, because it is very important for us to change the noise in all of the ways that people are hearing things, reading things, attending things. And so it really is a help to us if you share this out and continue to spread the message. You can also follow us at We Are Curious Foxes on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Patreon. We are really developing our Patreon series. So for our patrons, if you donate as little as $5 a month, then you get free tickets to our soiree 
soirees, which are like our flirty, fun, virtual now parties that we are doing. Um, really engaging, really interesting and exciting. We're, we're trying all sorts of new programming to meet people from all over the country and all over the world. You can get free tickets to that. We do free monthly socials. So every month we bring people together again online just for our Patreons so that you can connect with each other and we can check in with each other. You get uh, $5 tickets to our presents. So when we do our presents events, if you are uh, a pack leader donor, then you get free tickets and, and $5 tickets to that. Um, you get guest tickets. You get to ask Effie expert questions on relationship advice. There's so much that you get if you're a patron. So please go to We Are Curious Foxes on Patreon and find us there. Um, like us and review us. If you have questions that you'd like us to explore on this show, then you can give us a call. We have a podcast hotline. It's 201-870-0063. Give us a call. Leave a question. We'll play your question and we will answer it uh, as a part of one of our future episodes. And if you're feeling a little bit shy, but you still want to submit a question, then you can email us at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. So there's so many ways that you can reach out, so many places where we want to connect and hear from you. And until next time, stay, stay curious, curious, friends. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Yay. We did it. I took a How picture of the setup. I hope that's okay. I took a picture yeah. like this. Yeah. Nice. Um, actually, so... Um, I recorded um, from halfway through. We're, we, we, wouldn't, we would never use, like, we're not going to use the recording at all. Cool. Uh, but if you're comfortable with it, I just want to take a screenshot of, like, the grid view. Yeah. Um, if that's okay. I, I, everybody looks beautiful. So, I'm like, um, let me remove my post-it so I can see how I look. Great, great. Yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful. That's why great, I'm like, great. it's going to be fine. Um, I took a couple of screenshots, but I'll, I'll send them to you. And I promise you, everybody looks like, you know, we look the way we do. <laughs> that's like, we're looking like ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's all good. Um, and and how are you feeling? Does that does that, everything went well for you? Oh, I love good? it. I love podcasts so much because I feel like I discover what I think through conversation. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't even know I thought that until I was asked that question. Yeah, yeah same, same, same. <laughs> I, I think thinking thinking out loud is like where I come up with all my ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yay. All right. I got to jump off. Unfortunately, I have, a, I have a client call coming up. Um, but Julian, I'm going to email you. I would love to continue yeah, to talk. Um, I know I'm not one of the select eight, but maybe I will <laughs> figure out a way to carve my way through. Um, but I would love to I connect and Effie, you and I will check in. I'm sorry. For sure. I said I vouch yeah. for her. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Effie, we'll connect mic. later. And um, thank you. Thank you very much. It was really beautiful conversation. I was really excited yeah. about it. All right. Take bye, all. Bye. 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 Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.